It's good to see all of you here today. We appreciate very much your presence and desiring to begin your week in this fashion. Uh, I do want to make one mention. We have some guests with us. Um, Doug and Carla Tooley from Glasgow are here. They're here to look, they're contemplating coming to school here and look at the school and meet some people and talk to some folks. And um, they actually were not members at South Green. They they became members after I left. Um, they I guess they were just waiting me out. But uh, it's good to have them with us. And they're sitting right over here. You can meet them after services. If you have your Bible, open it please to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. This will be the last time we look at this passage, but I want to use it as an introduction to this morning's lesson. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. The text says, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if, one, if they fall, one will lift up his companion, and woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. What that passage teaches us is the value of people in our lives. We, we don't go it alone. We all need people. There's strength that comes by being with other folks. And, and that illustration of a threefold cord, you take a, a thread and you can break a piece of thread, but take three threads and wind them together and then try to, and it's much harder, much more difficult. There's strength when you add the extra string to it. There are people in our lives that we absolutely need. We don't go it alone in life. We're on a journey back to heaven. And as we go on that journey, we need people to help us as we face different struggles and trials and obstacles along the way. We've been looking at a series of people that we need in our life. We started with Barnabas. Barnabas was an encourager. We need people and, and if you don't have that person, and the point of this lesson is not just to talk about nice platitudes, but to put into practice what we're talking about. If you don't have a Barnabas in your life, find one. Find someone who is an encourager and pull them in closer and take efforts to make them a part of your life. And become a Barnabas. Take the initiative to be the encourager for somebody else because they, they need it. We need a Barnabas who will encourage us and who will show us what it means to sacrifice and challenge us to levels of service to Christ that we have never before dreamed of. Um, to get us out of our rut and to call us to a greater level of service. I, I need someone like that in my life. I need a Jonathan. We talked about him. Jonathan was a friend of David, sought David's well-being and good and protected David. We need people like that around us who are good, close friends upon whom we can depend and trust and who will always seek our good. We need a Rhoda in our life. Rhoda was a young lady in Acts chapter 12. And we need children in our lives. Jesus said, of such is the kingdom of heaven. And unless we become like a little child, we will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. I need 
children to remind me as I see them and watch them interact. I need to see that innocence of those children and those godlike qualities that they possess that have not yet been tainted by the world and by sin. We need children in our lives. They challenge us. They teach us. And we need a Nathan in our life. David had a Nathan. David was a man of position and power, and yet he had a man who was willing to come up to him and say, David, you're wrong. You need to change. You've sinned. And that took a lot of courage. But David must have been thankful to have had a man who got him back on the right path. We need people who will challenge us when we get out of line and when we get off that track. Um, just those who consent to whatever we want to do or whatever we want to say, that, that's not going to help us in the long run. We need people to give us objective advice. And then this morning, we need a Zacchaeus in our life. Luke chapter 19, as was just read, tells us the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Uh, that's the way the song says it. He was, a, he was a short guy. He wanted to see Jesus. And so he climbed up in a tree and Jesus saw him and went to his house and brought salvation to the house of Zacchaeus. But let's talk about the traits of Zacchaeus that we need in our life. But before we do that, let me just give you a little bit of background about who he was. If you look at chapter 19 of the book of Luke, we read that Zacchaeus was a tax collector, a publican. Um, I want you to understand how despised tax collectors were. Well, I mean, we don't even have a real good... When we say the IRS, even in our culture, we have this little twinge, don't we? Uh, not that there aren't good people in the IRS, and from everything we read about here, here's a man who had a job that was despised, but he himself was a good man. He said, listen, I give half my goods to the poor. That's noble. I don't know of anybody here that could say that. But that's what Zacchaeus said. And he also said, and if I take money from somebody in an unlawful way or through false accusation and I charge them more taxes than they actually should have paid, I will restore them fourfold, if I'm guilty of that. Zacchaeus was a tax collector, though, though he was a good man. They did, the Jews did not like tax collectors. Uh, number one, even up and up tax collectors, people have kind of a contempt for because they're taking my hard-earned money and they're taking it for things and spending it on things that I don't necessarily uh, would choose with my own money, but but that's, that's what their job. Well, to compound that, Zacchaeus is a tax collector and, and giving money to, to the Romans. You see, this, it's bad enough just paying taxes, but, but the Jews are under Roman occupation at this time. And they were occupied by this force that was a, a foreign force. And to pay taxes that would go back to Rome and support an oppressive nation, that's just about more than I can take. You see, there was a time when Israel, back in the days of David, Saul, David, and Solomon, boy, those were the glory days of Israel. 
They were one of the strongest, greatest nations in the world. They were subject to no one. But as sin entered into that nation and the kings became corrupt and the people became corrupt, God began to discipline them by other nations and had other nations take them captive and and punish them. And, And now we've been almost a millennium where the Jews are no longer that independent, strong nation that they once were. They're they're subjects of another nation. And think how that would make you feel. We're, We're Americans. We're free. Imagine what it would be like if China took over. They infiltrated us. They overtook us. And they subjected us. And part of my salary not only goes to the building of roads and, and uh, the paying of teachers and police force and all that. My taxes don't just go to those necessary things, but I'm also taxed heavily so that my money can go back across the ocean to support the habits and the lifestyle of those in power in China. You see, I wouldn't like that. And I would have a resentment that, And that's exactly what was taking place in the first century. Tax collectors were listed as people talked about, you know, I want to give an example of somebody that's a sinner, tax collectors and harlots. They were said in the same sentence uh, as prostitutes. Jesus even said to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 5 in a Sermon on the Mount, He said, what, what credit do you have if you love those who love you? Why? Even the tax collectors do that. That's pretty low on the... Jesus is saying, well, even these kind of people will do something like that. And He said, and what, what credit is there if you greet those who are your friends, who are your brethren? That's no big deal. The tax collectors will even do that. The tax collectors were... They were a byword. They were the dredge of humanity. They were used as examples of, you can't get any worse than this. That's who Zacchaeus was. Not only did Zacchaeus have a job that people thought were contentious or contemptible, he, he also had a problem. Well, it wasn't a problem, but it was something that set him apart. He was short uh, in stature. And that probably, you know, if you don't like a guy and you're going to try to find some flaw to pick at because you don't like him, he becomes an easy mark because he's not your average guy. He's a tax collector. He takes my money and I don't like that and I don't like him. And don't you know he must have endured some remarks about his stature? And then as he climbs this tree, because the crowd is pressed around, and as he climbs this tree to, to see Jesus, don't you know that uh, people must have been laughing at him? Look, look, there's, look at what that guy's doing. Look at Zacchaeus. Is he not crazy or what? And you can just hear the, the ridicule that would have taken place for a grown man, a tax collector, who's climbing a tree to see a guy that's walking down the road. Zacchaeus was an outcast. He was was someone that society 
did not value. We need a Zacchaeus in our life. We need an outcast in our life. We need someone who you might consider to be a fifth wheel in our life. We need people who socially are contemptible in our life. And we'll give reasons for that in just a minute. But I want you to, I want you to think about people like that because they're here. They're, they're there. You, you know who they are. Are there people in your life that when you see them coming, you want to run the other way? Because it's not that there's anything wrong in particular. It's not that they're dangerous or anything like that. But they just, they wear on you. They, they have no social graces. They, they don't know when to quit talking. They, they don't, they say all the things, they say things that just are inappropriate and to the setting. And you just get caught and tied up with them and, and you can't get away. And, and they, they don't understand how they come off. Have you met people who try hard to be accepted by other people and they desperately want friends and they want to be included and they, they want to be normal. But the more they try, the more they push people away. The more you run from them. I've known people like that that, that just they, there's something about their personality, the, the way they come across to people, that people don't like being around them. But these people want friends. And so the, the, the more they're rejected, the more they try. And the more they try, the more of a mess they make. And it's just that endless cycle. Do you think it could be possible that somebody in this auditorium today is here among 360 or so people, and yet they're alone? They're all by themselves. They, they're in a crowd, but they're really alone. I've been in situations where I have to go places and I don't know people and, and I'm, I'm standing there and I'm just so uncomfortable. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to interact with people. And, and though I'm in a crowd of people, I'm just I'm, I'm anxious because I don't know how to relate to some of the people that are present. And so I just like endure the night and I can't wait till I get out. You know, and then, then you can breathe easy. If you've been in a situation like that before, and I'm sure that we all have, imagine what it would be like if your whole life consisted of a series of those kind of events where you, where you never fit, where you're always the odd man out, where you never can feel comfortable with other people because of some, and you can't even figure out why. Other people know why, but they don't have the nerve to tell you. And telling you probably wouldn't help you anyway. Because we, what do we do? And how do we treat people who are social outcasts, misfits? That's who Zacchaeus was. And I know what the Lord did for him. The Lord invited him into his life. The Lord of all those crowd of people that were there, the Lord looked at that man, that short man up in that tree, and said, Zacchaeus, come down. I want to go to your house. And he went to his house and visited with him and brought salvation to that man's house. Jesus didn't run from misfits. Jesus didn't run from the socially awkward. He didn't run from those who were social outcasts. He embraced them. And that's 
what we need to do as well. And not only do we need to do it because that's what Jesus did, but you will benefit by having a Zacchaeus in your life. And I want to look past or look at a few things that we can learn if we have a Zacchaeus in our life. And number one, a Zacchaeus will, will help us to look past the superficial. When I look at a distance at certain people, I can stand back and say, man, they're strange. They're, they're just kind of weird. They're, they're kind of odd. They, they don't act like I act. And, and from a distance, I can stand back and say that. But, but, you know, when you get close and when you talk and build relationships with them, you learn that they're people and they have feelings. And they can be hurt and probably are hurt because they know they just don't fit in. And they see the people who run from them and who don't want to be a part of their life. There's a song a number of years ago. The the song was entitled, What's Your Tag Say? And it was about a, 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 well, part of the words uh, of that song say, this thing is not a problem. The song is about what kind of clothes do you wear? What's, What's your tag say? Does it come from Walmart, Kmart? Or does it come from, you know, and you can pick your, your name brand stores. Um, what's your tag say? In the song, the, one of the verses says, this thing's not a problem. The Bible calls it a sin. To rag on a rag is a crazy waste of time. The world is full of people who don't even have a dime. And it is. Isn't it silly? We, we, we judge people by the kind of clothes they wear. What's your tag say? Where'd you get that? And if it's not the right brand, we kind of have a contemptuous attitude toward them. You see, it's not silly. And it's not uh, foolish. According to James, it is a sin. If you have your Bible, you might turn it to James chapter 2. And I want you to see this. I I want to go ahead and read through this because this is, I believe, important. But in James chapter 2, James says, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. Don't be a Christian and show partiality. That's what he's saying. If a man should come into your assembly, and a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come a poor man in filthy clothes... And you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? As he goes down through and talks about dishonoring the poor man, and he says in verse 9, but if you show partiality... You commit sin. It's not a matter of judgment or it's not just a silly thing or, um, you know, uh, an immature thing to judge people by the way they dress and so forth. James said, listen, this is, this is sin. We cannot do that. We need to be, we need to have a Zacchaeus in our life to remind us to look past the superficial. These people are real. And they have emotions. And they have 
They have feelings. And while I may want to stay at arm's distance from them, I need to see them as Jesus did. You know, when I was in sixth grade, there was a a boy that moved into school. That's always hard to do. Move into a new school. He's in sixth grade. He moved in in the middle of the year, and he came in, and and he was a he was skinny and wiry, and had these great big glasses on his face, and he just he looked strange, and he acted a little goofy. And man, I'm telling you, that boy took he they had no mercy on him. And I was part of that. Oh, I would make fun. I'd try not for him to hear me do it, but I would be with those other guys and we would talk about and laugh about that guy. But you know, something caused me to see a little more in him as the year went on and we began to talk and I learned that he was a very religious guy. And we, we started talking Bible in sixth grade. And he could do some really neat things with making uh, all kinds. He could make these paper airplanes in such ways. It's incredible that he could do all the, the folds that he did and everything. And I don't know whatever happened to David. He moved that, that at the end of that year. But at sixth grade, I learned a lesson about people. I saw what I was once a part of and making fun of, and I never gave a second thoughts to the impact that had on his life. I never thought about him until I befriended him. And then it began to bother me when I saw what other people were saying and doing and the way they were abusing and misusing him. We need a Zacchaeus in our life to help bring us back to the will of God to see that these people are real people and they're not just objects that we can hold up to disdain and to, to have fun at their expense. We need to embrace a Zacchaeus in our life. A second thing, a second reason is that Zacchaeus, that, that person will teach us compassion. When I see and when I become a friend and when I pull a person into my circle of influence, who is an outcast socially, when I reach out to them and bring them close in my life, I'll, I'll learn compassion. Jesus, when He was doing ministry in the first century, no less than 12 times does the text tell us that Jesus would look at certain people and just have compassion. He saw them and he was touched by their lives. He had compassion. If we keep those Zacchaeus, those misfits at arm's distance, we'll never learn to have compassion on people. We need to bring them in to our circle and that way we'll, we'll be affected by them. We'll see that they're real and they have feelings and they have a life and they hurt. And they're embarrassed and shamed just the same way that we feel those things. And hopefully it will cause us to, to change the way we behave. How do we treat people who are social misfits? How do we treat people who are loners? How do we treat people who are physically handicapped? 
how do we treat people who are mentally ill? Well, maybe the answer to that is just to ask this. Do we run from those people or do we embrace them? I think we need to embrace them. And what we'll learn is that they're people. And it's for those people that Jesus came to this world and gave His life. Because God wants them back. A Zacchaeus will teach us to be compassionate. You know, when I was growing up, I don't have but just some very vague memories. I had a, a, a sister who died when she was nine years old. She had Down syndrome. And I was three when she passed away. And I, one of the things that I learned, compassion-wise, uh, for I would never, and when in our house, when... You know, and, and we say it without thinking. People say it without thinking. They'll see somebody that, that has done something, you know, that isn't very bright and they'll call them a, a retard or, or use that. We would never use that word. And the reason is because it was closer to us. I've heard, and I have a sermon entitled, Seeing is Bereaving. When you... You can see all kind of horrific things on television, but as long as it's a distance from you and you don't have any experience or close-up experience with it, it's just stuff that happens. Your emotions aren't tugged. But when you see it, that's, that's when you can bereave it. And, and that bereaving process and the, the compassion that you have when a person is drawn in. And you see... I'm likely to go through life and hold those people at arm's distance and have no compassion for them as long as I keep them at arm's distance. But if I will bring them in close, I'll learn to love with a deeper love and have compassion with a deeper compassion. And that's what Jesus did. He saw the sinners, the publicans, the tax collectors. He saw the, the harlots. And He went to them and sat with them and got to know them and ate with them while others stayed clear and stayed away because they're sinners. They're outcasts. Jesus didn't come to call the righteous, but He came to call the sinners to repentance. A Zacchaeus will teach us to be compassionate and to view life from a different perspective. I've sometimes heard people say, well, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if there's a God because look at some of the... Why would God, if there's a God, allow somebody to be born handicapped? Why would God allow somebody to be born and they're not able to walk or they're not able to hear or talk? You know, those things... We look at the imperfections in this world and sometimes it causes people to question God. But... I think it's a matter of perspective. Maybe from God's perspective, He doesn't see imperfection in those people. Maybe He sees the imperfection in us by the way we respond to those people. Maybe the imperfection from God's perspective isn't that that person's legs don't work. The imperfection is the way we treat that person whose legs don't work. We need to be compassionate people. A Zacchaeus will help us to learn that. 
Another thing that Zacchaeus will teach us is that it will remind us the value of the soul. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 26, Jesus said, For what shall a profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Nothing is more valuable than the soul. And those people that we hold at arm's distance and we try to run from, those people have a soul. And Jesus said they're worthwhile. They're not someone you should run from. They need salvation like the rest of us. In Matthew chapter 15, there's a story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. And the idea in that chapter, in verse 4, it says that, you know, here's a man who has 99 sheep. And he lost one, or 100 sheep, he lost one. He had 99, but he went looking for that one lost sheep. And when he found it, there was more rejoicing in heaven over that one lost sheep that had been brought back than over the 99 that he already had. That's the way God views these people. We need to learn to develop that mindset. In Mark chapter 2 and verse 17, Jesus said, I haven't come come for those who need no physician. I've come for those who need a physician. I haven't come for the righteous, but I've come for the sinners. Jesus reminds us, a Zacchaeus will remind us of the value of their soul. Even though they're socially awkward, Jesus died for them. And I'll never appreciate that unless I take the time to bring those people in. And don't you know they long for that? If you were a social misfit, if you never fit in, if you never had any friends, if you were always pushed to the side and you never, even when you were in a group, you never felt like you were part of the group. You were just alone in a group. Can you imagine how that would make you feel if people embraced you and made you a part of what they were and who they were and what they were about? Back about uh, two years ago at South Green, we had a man come to uh, the assemblies. He'd have to come to me every Sunday, and I'd have to sign a piece of paper saying he was present. You see, he was in a, um, a some kind of a step down from prison. There was a house there that he had to live in in Glasgow, and and uh, part of his rehabilitation was that he had to go to church. And so he would come, and I'd have to sign this piece of paper. This young man didn't look very good. Um, you could tell he lived a rough life. And he didn't have much either. His clothes weren't the kind of clothes that I would wear to church or most of the other people would wear to church. But he came. And he told me his story. He had a wife, he had children, and he threw it all away. He got involved in drugs and meth. And every waking minute of his life was spent in the pursuit of money to buy more drugs. And he said, I made horrible, horrible choices that cost me everything that meant anything to me in life. He lost his wife. He lost his children. He lost the respect of his friends and his parents. He had nothing. He finally was thrown in prison for stealing. And now he's been given a chance to start all over again. But, boy, he sure has paid a price. Physically, 
he looked different because of some of the things that the meth did to him. And it would be real easy to just let that guy come in and just sit over there. I'm going to just stay over here. And so when he got transferred out of Glasgow, I talked to the congregation about him. And we, we talked about, you know, how we reach out to certain people. And I said, how many of you in the last six months have said anything to this man? And apparently a lot of people hadn't that felt convicted. And so they got his address. They began to write to him. And through that, he wrote back to me and called me. He was back in, in a different part of Kentucky at that time, hours away. And he said, I don't even know what to make of this. I'm so overwhelmed by the love and the outpouring that these people have for me. I, I've never experienced this before. I'm not worthy of it. I, my life is a shambles. And I, yeah, I'm trying to do right and I need this. And this is, this is the, this is what's going to help me get through this program. But what if we would have just chosen to let that guy continue to be an outcast? We would have lost him. Instead, he came to Christ and obeyed the gospel and is trying to get what he can get put back together in his life. Zacchaeus will remind us the value of a soul. And then finally, Zacchaeus will give us an opportunity to be like Jesus. Jesus didn't miss opportunities to reach out to people. Even if you were rich or poor, Jesus would reach out. The worst of sinners, the harlots, the publicans, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, Jesus loved them all. And He reached out to them. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, it should be our goal, as the passage says, to be conformed into the image of Jesus. That's what I want to do. I want to be like Jesus. And if I'm going to do that, I have to be able and willing to stop along the road and look up in the tree and call down a Zacchaeus and invite him into my life. Are there people in your life who fall into the realm of that Zacchaeus? Turn in your songbook just for a second. I want you to look at Psalm, and we're going to finish here. And I want you to look at number 408. The song is entitled, Oh, to be like thee. I'm sure you know the, the song. A number of years ago, Alexander Campbell was once asked, if you didn't have... Um, the Bible to give to a person, what would you give? You know, what creed or whatever would you give? Well, Campbell hated creeds, and he was a Bible-only guy. But he said, if I didn't have the Bible and I had to give somebody something, I guess I'd give them my hymnal, because in it are the great themes that the Bible preaches. But listen to this song, the first two verses. Oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer, this is my constant longing and prayer. Gladly I'll forfeit all of earth's treasures Jesus, thy perfect likeness to wear. I'll give up everything if I can just be like Jesus. And then look at verse 2. Oh, to be like thee, full of compassion, loving, forgiving, tender and kind, helping the helpless, cheering the fainting, seeking thy, the wandering sinner to find. 
That's what I'm calling us to do. And I'll tell you how you can do that. If you want to be like Jesus, find a Zacchaeus and make him a part of your life and pull him in close. And not only will he make a difference in your life, but you'll make a difference in his. If you're here this morning and you're not yet a child of God and you need to obey the gospel, I encourage you to do what he said. Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. If you haven't done that, we'll assist you in that this morning. And if you're a child of God already but unfaithful and you need to, you need to buckle down and get serious about this and you want to start fresh today, we'll pray with you to that end if you'll come as we stand together and sing.